0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, should you wish to be on the show, 877-97-ERIC, 877 973 You know what? I want to entertain this phone call out of the gate because I always love this sort of call. Tom, Tom, you're going to be next on the program. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Great show as usual. Thank you. I have, I want to throw out a potential Democratic presidential nominee that I haven't heard you mention. So, uh, I'm I'm going to throw out the name the uh, the and, and the first name is Michelle. <laughs> yep. Obama. Um Yeah. You know, there was a ton of speculation in 2020 and a whole lot of uh, the Democratic Party wanted her To run for president of the United States, Um, which is kind of striking because her background is working in a hospital and as a lawyer and never holding elected office. But she, of course, had been first lady. And the thinking at the time was, well, this is how you get Barack Obama a third term in office. But Michelle's the one who calls the shots. She herself was asked about it at the time and said, absolutely not. Uh, She has no desire to go back into that house. They are. They have a a multi-million dollar Netflix deal. They got a house now, a fancy, fancy mansion. One in D.C., one on the coast at Martha's Vineyard. So she doesn't want to do it. Now, could she be persuaded? I don't know. Uh, In large part because of 2020, no one could persuade her then, Uh, and she had a, a passionate hatred of Donald Trump, and they couldn't persuade her to run against him. But there's a bigger, larger issue here, and that is to Tom's question that they would even raise the specter of Michelle Obama running for the presidency. Things just aren't going well for the Democrats. This is Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, talking to Congress yesterday. First of all, the, the the test that we've articulated, I think, clearly has been met now. Uh, you know, you, you're absolutely right, inflation has run well above 2 percent for long enough that uh, if you look back a few years, inflation averages 2 percent. So I think I think we can say that that, that is – it was not the case going into this episode. It would have been many years since we had inflation at 2 percent. Um, so I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. To, to many, it carries a time – a sense of uh, of short-lived, we we tend to to, to, to ha- use it to mean that that it won't leave a permanent mark uh, in the in the form of higher inflation. I think it's it's probably a good time to retire that that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. Uh, try to re- explain more clearly. They they think it's going to be around, just not around indefinitely. Uh, meanwhile, you've got uh, Janet Yellen out there saying this. She's the Treasury Secretary now. The second action involves the Build Back Better agenda. I applaud the House for passing the bill, and I'm hopeful that the Senate will soon follow. Build Back Better is the right economic decision for many reasons. It will, for example, end the child care crisis in this country, letting parents return to work. These investments we expect will lead to a GDP increase over the long term without increasing the national debt or deficit by a dollar. In fact, the offsets in these bills mean they actually reduce annual deficits over time. Actually, that's not true. And Joe Manchin is calling her out on this, saying that what they're doing is they're claiming that a lot of the provisions in Build Back Better would sunset after six years when really they're designed to go on after that. And so they're, they're playing funny math in order to show that it doesn't actually cause an increase in the debt or deficit. And he's having none of it, which also means given the pay for mechanisms that you will be spending more than what uh, you're, you're bringing in, which means they're not all paid for, which means it's more money out there, which means it's more inflation. The Democrats are having a hard time on this. Inflation is the thing that is going to do them in. And on top of that, there is a growing body of evidence. A growing view of evidence, a growing view of Joe Biden that suggests there's something going on with him. Here's the president yesterday. Here we go. Man title. Well, I'm not going to read it all. Just sign it. He started to read the title of the legislation, the infrastructure plan, and I'm just not going to read it all. And then there was this. Ran for president. I said I was running for three reasons. One to restore the soul of the country, to have some, restore some decency to how we dealt with that, and two, and two, to rebuild the backbone of the country. Hard-working middle-class folks and working-class folks who built the country. The folks in Wall Street aren't bad, but they didn't build America. The people who work on, come out of the school are the ones that build America. And then he couldn't remember his third reason, you know, when Rick Perry was on stage and couldn't remember the three departments of the executive branch, he wanted to get rid of, it was a fatal blow to his presidential ambitions. Joe Biden just couldn't remember the third reason he ran for president and everyone's batting eyelashes as if it didn't happen. The American public remember a plurality of Americans, something like 48% of Americans are concerned with the mental acuity of the president of the United States. This is not a good sign for Joe Biden. He's got problems. Nobody really believes he's going to run again. Now, the Democrats, they'll tell you that he's going to run again, but they don't really believe he's going to run again. They, they just don't believe he's going to run again. And they're already jockeying for a position. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, we need to talk about this. Spare me your hate mail. I'm going to tell you what I think. You don't have to like it. You would be amazed uh, when I give you what I think is is, is trying to be my, my, my fairest statements of what I think is going on, the amount of hate mail I get from people who disagree. But I'm just going to tell you what I think. And feel free to disagree. There's no reason for the hate mail. I still don't think Donald Trump runs in 2024. Now, in fairness, I didn't really think he was going to run the last time. So you do need to keep that in mind. But regardless of whether he runs or not, there's no reason for him to say otherwise until after 2022. The reason is very simple. The moment Donald Trump decides he's not running for president again, if he decides that, uh, suddenly people go looking for the new guy. And Donald Trump has scores he wants to settle whether it's with Brian Kemp here where I am in Georgia or with Liz Cheney out in Wyoming, you name it, he's got scores he wants to settle and he wants to be relevant. And the moment he decides he's not running again is the moment he's no longer relevant to the conversation. But on the upside for the Republicans, they've got a deeper bench than the Democrats have. If I were to call it today, if I were to call it today, I would say that... um, Barring something unforeseen, and again, events can change things, it's very far off, I would think DeSantis would probably be the odds-on favorite for 2024 for the GOP. He is the most Trump-like of the candidates who would be out there who does not alienate the non-Trump side. Now, certainly, there are some of the the never-Trump people who would be alienated by DeSantis, but more of them are alienated by a guy like Josh Hawley, who they don't really know, but they don't like him. DeSantis seems to be that person. Um there are a lot of good people who would run for the GOP, though, beyond DeSantis. You do have the Josh Hawley's and the Ted Cruz's. You probably have a Rand Paul again. Uh a Tom Cotton. You gotta, but you gotta you got a Nikki Haley out there as well. Mike Pompeo. Don't take him out of the equation. With foreign policy on the rise is a big issue. Mike Pompeo, he's been losing weight. He's got his his uh pack, his calf pack, he wants to run. There are a lot of people out there. Mike Pence, he's not in the conversation for a lot of people right now. Pence very clearly wants to run. So in other words, you've got a secretary of state, you've got a UN ambassador slash governor, a governor, a bunch of senators, uh, and a former vice president and governor and state-runs U.S. representative in Mike Pence, and they want to run. That's a very deep bench with a lot of competence there if Trump doesn't run. And if Trump runs, he's going to have to go through a primary process where there are a lot of people, about 60% of the GOP says they would support him again, but that means 40% of them won't. And given the lay of the landscape and the calendar for 2024, that doesn't mean he's a shoe-in even if he runs again. Certainly more people would walk away and say it's his, but it's not necessarily the case. He probably would be the nominee if he ran, and frankly, he'd probably beat the Democrats, and the Democrats are very frustrated with that. But as long as I think that the GOP is talking about this, there becomes a problem. In large part, you see it based on the same polling. And again, you can't believe what the polling says, but you can believe the polling trends and the polling trends have been pretty good. In fact, the polling trends are how we knew Glenn Youngkin was probably going to win Virginia. The polling number per se isn't the accurate thing, but if all the polling is headed in a direction, there's there's where you can pick up on something. And the polling trends for the GOP have been 80% wanted Trump to run in 2024 after he lost, then 70%. Now we're at 60%. The number who want him to run again continues to go down as people move beyond and look forward to 2022 and beyond. I don't know what he's going to do. What I do know he's going to do is say nothing until after 2022. But the GOP itself has a bench the Democrats don't have. In addition, they've got something else the Democrats don't have. The Democrats promised they would fix everything. The Democrats promised they would get us past COVID. The Democrats promised they would fix the economy. The Democrats promised a whole lot of things, and they haven't delivered on any of these things. And it gives any Republican, including Donald Trump, a chance to say, we told you they weren't going to fix these things. We told you they would make things worse. That's what Donald Trump said. In fact, Donald Trump could run an entire re-election campaign in 2024 called the I told you so campaign. Democrats have that as a problem. The GOP, well, their biggest gift is the Democrats being in charge of everything right now. Now, before I get out of here, I want to go to a phone call. John is waiting. John, welcome to the program. How are you? Great, Eric. And you? Great. I, I was just thinking there when you were talking about uh, people running for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. uh, the Democrats should seriously consider Joe Manchin. He's the most practical of the whole lot of them up there at the moment. Uh But you see, that's always the has been practical. Yeah, that's the problem. He's practical, and uh, the progressives hate his guts. And okay. that's why they, they can't nominate him. Um, Joe Manchin, listen, Joe Manchin makes sense as a presidential candidate for the Democrats, but he's got to get through a Democratic primary uh, that begins in Iowa, potentially still, where the most progressive of the base come out and then hops to New Hampshire, where you still have a very progressive base. So then you get to South Carolina and you've got a lot of voters alienated by his um pragmatism. Uh, Joe Manchin being the pragmatist has a hard time getting donor money from the progressive base that is the largest pool of donor money in the Democratic Party, and then from the voters in the first several states that they come to. Listen, you're absolutely right, John. I'm not dismissing it at all. If the Democrats wanted to win in 2024, They could nominate a guy like Joe Manchin and he would probably pick up a lot of Republican votes as a reasonable, moderate alternative to the right or the left. He just can't get through a Democratic primary that is at this point designed to bring about a progressive pick. He would have to run as an independent and then he would have to raise signatures and he probably couldn't do that. Uh, That's part of the problem for the Democratic Party. They will, in their primary process, cut off their nose to spite their face now. And that's exactly what they will get is they will get a noseless candidate who can't win an election because they're too much of a progressive freak show to pick up any votes from moderate independent voters. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They're in Noonan, Georgia, but they can help you wherever you are in the United States of America. They want to help your business grow. They've been doing it since the early 90s. If you need access to large loans, six figures and up, reach out to them. They make their own lending decisions. They want to help you get to yes, where a lot of banks are saying no. It's firstlibertyga.com is their website, firstlibertyga.com. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, you know I am from Louisiana. And being from Louisiana, I am obligated to support LSU, even as I am in Georgia and quietly hoping that both the Braves and and the University of Georgia can go all the way. Don't want to jinx them, though. But, you know, I got my friend Abby over at KRMG in Tulsa, and she's going to be very upset if UGA doesn't make it all the way. So they need to go all the way or suffer the wrath of Abby. So they better do it. But LSU booted Ogeron in large part because nobody could understand him. Uh, But he wound up ending with a winning season. And they've hired Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, who just actually sounds like a terrible person. And and I don't say that lightly. Uh, so uh, Brian Kelly news broke that he was leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU. And he summoned the team and spent basically two minutes, told him he was leaving, and walked out the door. And then there's there's this. um this is a bizarre story. So Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala, uh, who were graduate assistants to Brian Kelly when he was at Central Michigan, uh, got invited to a party. They were they were assistant coaches for Brian Kelly, and they got invited to a party. This is from ESPN. On a winter night in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala thought they were invited to a party at the home of their boss, Central Michigan University football coach Brian Kelly. Turns out they weren't on the guest list. They were on the worker list. We shoveled snow and parked cars all night, Sayla said. that was, At the end of the night, we had to go get the cars again. And then they went back to their tiny apartment they shared as graduate assistants and stood around their kitchen table, the one that didn't have any chairs. We decided that when we're in that position, we're never going to treat people the way we got treated, said Selah, now the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator, and Maddie's lived up to it. That just man the stories that are coming out. This guy did. Did LSU know what they were getting? Um, I mean, at least it rarely snows in Baton Rouge. But gosh, I don't know about that pick. Um, I don't know about some of these guys. Some some of the. I mean, I just so I like college football. I mean that uh, Alabama Auburn game. A buddy of mine, Leon, who's who's filmed on the show before, Leon refers to college football as minor league football. I actually like it more than professional football uh, because those players, they play their hearts out. And uh, they're not making any money. Well, they are now, but they used to not be making any money at it. And you see the caliber of the teams and how good coaches can bring teams together. Look at what's his name in Tennessee, who all sorts of rumors, maybe he'll hop to Oklahoma or somewhere else. But the new coach at Tennessee took Phillip's favorite team, which was a disaster of a team, and has turned that team around. Every team in the SEC is now qualified for a bowl game except for Vandy. Ha! <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, my buddy Steven, if you're listening right now, I'm very sorry that your alma mater uh, is, is the one team in the SEC that did not qualify. But nonetheless, they did, including Tennessee, which is a terrible team, or at least they were. A coach can make all the difference. And it's also with a lot of coaches, whether it's Kirby Smart or Dabo Sweeney or someone else, about building the character of these young men who are not going into the NFL. Most players on a college football team will never go to the NFL. But the coaches can shape and mold them and their character uh, as they're turning into men headed off into the real world in ways that maybe even even their parents could not. Phillip says Tennessee by the way Phillip says Tennessee is doing well because of his prayer life uh, <laughs> I'll bite my tongue on that. Um, but nonetheless I'm I'm a little bit perturbed with the stories coming out that this is Brian Kelly guy and his players at Tennessee are very 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 unhappy with him and I suspect we're gonna see more stories trickling out about him. Uh, you know it just it never never hurts to be a nice person. It never hurts to be a nice person. Um, and so many people so often think that the braggadocious biblical donkey gets ahead, not necessarily in the end. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just turned and looked at my, I was, I was reading an article about the Supreme court Dobbs oral arguments today and, and had not checked my email and I just turned one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven in my inbox. Uh, seven. Let's see. Here's here's an eighth one in my spam phone, Ninth one in my that appeared. Nine emails from Vanderbilt graduates. Very upset. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I I am I am genuine. I did not mean to offend any of you. I'm genuinely I just, I happened to point out that every SEC football team made it to a qualified for a bowl game, except for, except for one exam week is coming up. They'll be focused on that. (laughs) I, I, I really, I'm not making this up. I got nine emails. Um, I didn't even see them. I saw one, uh, Randall. Yes. Yours is the first one I saw. And I just see not funny, sir. I don't mean to laugh at you. I'm laughing with you. All right. All right. All right. All right. We got to move on. Anderson Cooper. Some news now about this network it involves Chris Cuomo, the host of Cuomo Prime Time. New documents released this week indicated that Chris was more intimately involved than previously known in helping his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, craft a defense amid a flurry of sexual misconduct allegations. Here's a statement released tonight from a CNN spokesperson, quote, The New York Attorney General's office released transcripts and exhibits Monday that shed new light on Chris Cuomo's involvement in his brother's defense. The documents, which we were not privy to before their public release, raised serious questions. The spokesperson continued, quote, When Chris admitted to us that he had offered advice to his brother's staff, he broke our rules, and we acknowledged that publicly. But we also appreciated the unique position he was in and understood his need to put family first and jobs second. However, these documents point to a greater level of involvement in his brother's efforts than we previously knew, the spokesperson added. As a result, we have suspended Chris indefinitely, pending further evaluation. He's probably not coming back. There are a couple things we got to play out here. First of all, why am I talking about this? Um, I, I continue to talk about these issues, including Chris Cuomo, in large part because I am very frustrated with the state of the American press corps. Because a free people really do need a free press. We we really do need a free press. And the bulk of the American media has become a partisan operation for the Democrats. And in fairness, prior to the Civil War, I think that's an important point, prior to the Civil War, you had partisan presses you had a Republican and Democrat. So the, to this day, there are newspapers around the country. I think what the Arizona Republic? Uh, there's no, is it the Cleveland Democrat? I can't remember, but th- there were newspapers that would declare themselves Republican or Democrat. And it identified the partisan editorial position, and the editorial pages of the country to this day are still partisan. And most of them are of the left. But on the front pages of newspapers across the country for a generation, there has been an attempt to fairly encapsulate what is actually the news. And over time, biases crept in as to what they did and did not cover, and then in what they did cover, how they covered it. And today now, you have the Associated Press and other organizations that believe that reporters, because they have opinions and biases, should be allowed in certain ways to express them. And it has degraded the American people's trust in the media. Through it all, over time, CNN was a network that claimed to be a network that just gave you the news. And it has always been obvious that wasn't always the case, but in the past it had done far better. When Jeff Zucker came over to CNN from NBC, he propped up Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo in the evening and gave both of them license to be pretty aggressively partisan and of the left. With Chris Cuomo, his brother was the governor of New York. His father had been the governor of New York. There was no question that he was a liberal Democrat. And in fact, anyone who has paid any attention to Chris Cuomo over the last number of years on CNN has, has seen him ask questions of Republicans he would never ask of Democrats and presuppose information about the right he would never do on the left. And in fact, to presuppose information that shaped his coverage to make it of the left. That's not in dispute. Jeff Zucker at CNN also hired Valerie Jarrett's daughter, and he hired uh, Jim Scudo, who worked for Barack Obama, to be an anchor. It's one thing to hire these people to be commentators for the Democratic Party, to hire them to be objective reporters and anchors when he wouldn't do that for people on the right. And we know because they had one, oh, what's her name? I forget, but she was going to come over and help shape political coverage for the network. uh, and, And fair and impartial Just shaping behind the scenes. These things are important. You should look at them. And the left pitched a fit and couldn't hire her. CNN should always do better because CNN claims to be better. And they're not. And they've had to make a call here. But there are a couple of other things going on here you need to know. I said yesterday that, uh, Jeff Zucker would not be able to keep Cuomo because of the people at CNN and Jeff Zucker's own past. Jeff Zucker knew a lot about Matt Lauer's sexcapades at NBC. In fact, they did a, a comedy roast of Matt Lauer for his birthday one year. And Jeff Zucker talked about the, and made jokes about the sex toys and the women. Everybody knew. Everybody laughed. Jeff Zucker clearly knew, and he was never held to account for his role in enabling and emboldening Matt Lauer at NBC to do the things Matt Lauer did. By the time all that came out, uh, Zucker was ensconced at CNN, and they had rebounded in pretty good ratings. And no one at CNN, no one at Time Warner was going to hold Jeff Zucker accountable for it. You can't go through the Lauer stuff and not be held accountable and then get to the Chris Cuomo stuff where he is helping his brother go after the women who are claiming to be sexually harassed, if not assaulted. You can't do that, particularly at CNN, where you have more and more empowered a lot of activist progressive women at CNN who as employees are woke and want the network to steer to a more woke line. I will tell you my story from CNN. I've never told this on radio. Do you know the play, The Vagina Monologues? And you'll have to apologize. I apologize if you're offended by the word, but it's deeply relevant here because it's a play. And it is a play essentially defending abortion rights. And it is a play where various uh, women perform the the part on stage, give the various monologues, And in 2012, I was at the Republican convention. I was a a contributor to CNN. And CNN does something very cool at every Republican and Democratic political convention. They uh, put up a CNN diner, and you can go in and you get great meals, have a few drinks and hobnob with the who's who of the media world and the political elite of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And I went to the democrat to the republican convention and it's a, the the night before it ends and it's late at night and i'm there with the various who's who of the of the cnn establishment of management the president of the editorial directors of the standards directors uh, of the democratic and republican uh, pundits and we're all sitting around and we're talking about what's going to come up in the Democratic convention. And I said, in my mind, given the state of play with the Supreme Court at the time and the way the Democrats were increasingly a, a party that really wanted to scare women to vote for the Democrats through abortion, it was going to be a one-week retelling of the vagina monologues. That play. And everybody laughed. The people who were in management laughed. The head of standards laughed. They all laughed. They, they all agreed. They all nodded along with me. They knew what it was going to be. They were going to have a, 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 a week long advocacy of abortion rights. And then the Democratic Convention came around. And as I predicted, it was a non stop abortion fest on stage. They had a Planned Parenthood, the various Democratic women lamenting the, the row was at stake and women's right to choose and on and on. And one of the nights, it was the night Michelle Obama was speaking. I think it was the third night of the convention. And I said, "At night three of the vagina monologues, going as expected. Now, I had said that around the, the executives of CNN and the pundits of CNN and the anchors of CNN. And everyone was nodding along with me that, yeah, this could be a lot about abortion. But then I dared say it on Twitter, and it became a thing. And Media Matters came after me. And a whole lot of the people who behind the scenes were nodding along and agreeing with me that that's what it would be like were now ready to have me fired for daring to say in public what I was willing to say in private. If you know anything about me, I think if I'm willing to say something in private, I should be willing to say it in public. I don't like to keep anything from you, the, the listener or the viewer or the reader. And they were perfectly fine with me saying it in that crowd. But some of the women complained. They wound up not suspending me. They wound up not punishing me. They came close. But they told me that several of the women, they would be uncomfortable with me being on air, and so I should just keep my head down and say off Twitter for several days because the women behind the scenes could make life difficult. That was in 2012. It's only gotten worse over time. Not only that, you've got a number of the anchors at CNN who really have prided themselves in the objectivity objective standard of CNN And they're very angry with Chris Cuomo to begin with because Chris Cuomo has dragged various reporters and anchors of CNN into fights with other networks they never asked to be in. He has gone out of his way to be a partisan progressive on television and that besmirched the reputation along with Don Lemon besmirched the reputation of the network. And Jeff Suckers had his back the whole time. And Jeff Zucker had his back over this. In fact, Jeff Zucker capitalized on that relationship for a number of months. And during that time, it made a number of people at CNN very squeamish. And so now the documents come out. We've all known that Chris Cuomo was involved in his brother's PR campaign and getting dirt and like. It's been reported. But now the documents are there for all to see. CNN had no choice. Zucker had to do this between the Matt Lauer stuff and the increased wokeness of some of the employees at CNN and the downright hostility of a number of the other reporters and anchors at CNN and the fact that Jeff Zucker does not have the credibility within Time Warner he once had because the ratings aren't doing so well anymore. In fact, there are days where MSNBC and and, uh, CNN's combined audience doesn't even match Fox's audience. He's got to do something. The shine is off Jeff Zucker. He needs to do something, so he has to take Chris Cuomo off. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we never see Chris Cuomo on CNN again. What is surprising is that Jeff Jeffrey Tubin remains. You cannot keep tugging Tubin, and also Chris Cuomo, given the internal situation of CNN. You just can't do that. And so Zucker had to get rid of him. Now, here's the problem they should have gotten rid of him sooner. In fact, they never should have hired him given his background and pedigree as a sky of the Democratic Party. If CNN wants to be the network that delivers the news, they need to be the network that delivers us the news. But increasingly under Zucker, they just want to be MSNBC light. They want to be MSNBC without the extremism of MSNBC. They want to cater to a liberal coastal elite that drips with disdain for Republicans and conservatives and allows on only one pro-conservative voice, Scott Jennings, and shuts down all the other conversations. They got to pick. They got to pick. Maybe they can use this as an opportunity to rebuild some credibility, but I don't think they're going to because they know the money is in entertainment and the people who work there, overwhelmingly, they want to entertain the left, not the right. And so it's not going to get any better but at least Chris Cuomo has his comeuppance. Now, I don't want you to have your comeuppance. I want you to get a good deal with your cell phone. I want you to use Patriot Mobile. I got an account with Patriot Mobile. I get coverage in rural Georgia. You don't have to worry about the coverage. That seems to be one of the big concerns with Patriot Mobile is their coverage, but you don't have to worry about it because they use the same cell towers that all the other big cell phone companies use. And they have 100% U.S.-based customer service, unlike those other cell phone companies. And you get free activation by using my name. And not only that, this is the big one. If you're a Patriot Mobile customer, a portion of the profits of the company that you help generate go to fund the pro-life movement and the Second Amendment movement and veterans and first responders, great conservative groups and nonprofits. What you need to do is go to PatriotMobile.com Eric today, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. If you tell them I sent you, if you use that link, you get free activation. You can call them as well. They've got 100% U.S.-based customer service. It is 972-PATRIOT. That's their number, 972-PATRIOT. You will get uh, great discounts if you're a veteran, first responder, large family with multiple lines. If you're an NRA member, uh, a lady told me she got a discount for being a, a public school teacher. You get great discounts with Patriot Mobile. You can save some money, and you get uncompromising great customer service and cell service and data service. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric go there today. All right. Um, I, I got to return to something. Uh, you remember all the hullabaloo about the voting rights laws and and the election laws in Texas and Florida and Georgia and how they were going to suppress people. Uh, the state of Georgia had elections yesterday, municipal elections across the state, several special elections as well. Notice no one's complaining. They went off without a hitch you you even Fulton County the Metro Atlanta area had smooth sailing in their elections no one was disenfranchised there's no belly aching no screaming nothing it worked the system worked worked as designed it made it easy to vote and hard to cheat that's what we wanted so you won't get a lot of coverage now about how well Georgia's election law worked and all the people who were able to vote and didn't get disenfranchised or or upset over absentee ballots and stuff—it was all hysteria designed by the Democrats and the media. And what did it get? It got uh, the 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 Major League All Star Game moved out of Atlanta, and the Braves still won the World Series. By the way, why isn't Freddie Freeman signed yet? Why isn't Freddie signed? We need to get Freddie Freeman signed to get Braves Liberty Media. Get with it. Sign this man. Give him what he wants. He's earned it. He got you a World Series, uh, and and the revenue potential there from him over the next few years will make up for it, whatever it is. Give Freddie Freeman whatever he wants, including your firstborn if he wants that, whatever he wants. Give that man whatever he wants. Now, I got to end back on a very hyper-local note. Uh, The new mayor of Atlanta, uh, Andre Dickens, he is the only man who ran for the race who had private sector experience, and he won, but he won And the majority of every precinct in Buckhead, the Northern Atlanta Financial Center, where 40% of the city's revenue comes from, they voted for the president of the city council, Felicia Moore, who lost. A lot of friends who lived in Buckhead who were all supporting her, and she lost. And she won all those precincts. Oftentimes in politics, you have to build bridges and relationships with people that you don't want to. And you kind of resent having to do it because you didn't do anything wrong. And these people hate you. He's got to build bridges to Buckhead. He has got to rebuild and repair that relationship and the relationship with the state of Georgia that his predecessor did not have. He's got to build that. Otherwise, they're going to allow Buckhead to be its own city. And the votes are there for that city to become its own city and separate from Atlanta. And that will have a massive financial impact on the city of Atlanta and on the state of Georgia as a whole. So Andre Dickens, uh, I don't know you, but I appreciate that you won. You did what you needed to do, and now you got to do something you may not think you need to do, and that is to build really good relationships with the people of Buckhead, keep them safe, give them police, cut down the crime, and save your city. That's what you got to do if you're going to be mayor. Save Atlanta, and that means saving Buckhead. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up, and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say, Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.